Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So the title of today's message is, Why Am I Short of Money? And you're probably saying, I thought I went to church, not to a money seminar. Well, I want you to know you could go no better place to learn about money than you can to the Word of God. For we know that everything belongs to the Lord and that He has provided it for us so that we can do something with it. And we're going to learn that here in just a moment. A conviction that you might want to have as your family, something you might want to put on the refrigerator and own, something you can follow along. It is very biblical. So really what you're doing is you're finally going to learn God's mind on money. So it's all about the Lord. Are you ready? You ready to go? Let's go into this material here and just see what God has for us. As we begin, probably one of the first things we have to do is look back for just a moment to build this new building on this foundation that we've had before. And the truth is that we must understand, and I hope you get this, that it is never our finances. It is always God's finances. Everything belongs to Him. So whatever we have, we have to use it properly. The second truth that we learned last week, if I could put it into a sentence, is already there for you, and that is ambition is to be balanced with contentment. And it's not wrong to look for and grow towards and desire a little bit more as long as you realize that it could be on a slippery slope unless it has the governor of the biblical trait called contentment. And we know that our contentment is found in Christ. So when we become abiding in Christ and Christ abides in us, there's that settled peace that we have, that He owns everything, that He's going to take care of us, and it's okay if we move ahead to be able to provide for our family as long as we're not driven by greed, and that's what we covered last week. So that's why when we go into, you know, why am I short of money, what are some things we might be able to park on? And I thought it might be good for us to at least to attempt to define the word debt, D-E-B-T. So what is debt anyway? You talk to some people, they'll say debt is anytime you owe anybody anything that you are in debt. That's not a bad explanation and maybe a little bit of a definition. It's true that we're in debt. If we owe something to someone and we haven't paid them, we're in debt. Others say, well, we're really not in debt with them if we signed a contract that said that we'll pay them in a certain amount of time, and so they're giving us time to pay them back, so technically we're really not in debt. That may work for you. I don't know if that totally works for me, but it may work for you. Others say, no, you're only in debt if you owe people more than what you have in all of your assets hard assets like your houses and cars and jewelry and things like that, and your liquid assets, which would be money that you can easily get a hold of. So they would say you're only in debt if you owe more than what you have in your totality of your assets. But if you have more assets than what you owe people, well, you're really not in debt. That doesn't necessarily work for me. It may work for you, but I don't think that really works much for me. I would prefer to take a position that I would rather be debt-free in my life. Now, will there be times that the Lord allows us to have indebtedness? There are governors on our indebtedness, and that's found in the Old Testament and New Testament. This message isn't to unpack the whole concept about indebtedness. I think you guys are already in a place to realize we would all agree that it is by far better to be debt-free than to be in debt. And if you do agree with that, say amen. All right. So at least we'll go in that direction. But I thought it might be helpful for us to... Look at the concept of debt. The one place we can go to is obviously just any old dictionary. When was the last time you looked up the word in a dictionary and found out what debt means? Let me give you what it said. According to Funk and Wagnall's dictionary, they said, that which one owes as money, goods, or services, you're indebted to that. 
Number two, the obligation to pay or render something or the condition of owing something. And then what's interested, interesting is even in a secular dictionary, it had the word theo, T-H-E-O, which is another term for God. And so they kind of threw kind of a bone towards God and Christians, and it said theo. It's simply a sin. A borrower is a servant to the lender, and they quoted Proverbs 22, 7 there. Isn't that interesting? Well, then I thought I would go back to the American Dictionary of the English Language. This was a dictionary that was really put together by Noel Webster. He put this together, trying to put our English words into a dictionary form. Now, we know that he was a Christian. We know that there were a lot of Christians at the founding of America. And so most of the definitions that you'll find of words in that dictionary will somehow find its way in a scriptural setting. I would encourage all of you that you have your dictionaries. You probably have them all online if you have a good uh, software package. But if you don't, I would encourage you to get at least Noah Webster's one here, okay? It's a great one. It goes like this. He says, debt is that which is due from one person to another, whether money, goods, or services. Interesting how the current dictionary borrowed from his dictionary. goes on to say, in Scripture, it's a sin. And then he goes out and he really hammers it. It's a trespass. It's guilt. It's crime. It's what... It, is what renders liable to punishment. And now we can open up the whole concept of indebtedness as it relates to us and our relationship to God. Us in the fact that we are sinners, that there's a requirement for perfection, that we can't have total righteousness, which we can't have. And so we broke the code, the written law of God. And when we did that, we're indebted. And now we're indebted. And we can't pay that debt off the only way we pay it off is by death, D-E-A-T-H. We're already spiritually dead, separated from Him, because by nature we have that debt we can't pay. When we die, we spend eternity in hell with that because we had a debt we could not pay. And then Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to cancel that debt. I'm going to forgive that debt by paying your debt. And when He went to the cross, Jesus died, and He satisfied that payment for God the Father. And He says, now I offer you the free gift of eternal life when you trust Christ as Savior. So don't ever think that debt is a light matter with God, whether it's social debt between people, especially between us and God. It's a high issue with God. It costs God the death of His only Son on the cross, and praise God for the resurrection. So with that in mind, I wanted to give you a conviction that Carol and I have lived by, this conviction regarding the funding that God has provided for me. I am not asking you to have our conviction. I'm just submitting it to you to consider with you and your family to see if this will work for you. So at least you have it in a big sentence of what we should think about money. Right? Here's what it is. A financial conviction about finances could be our money and resources. All right, That could be our liquid assets and then our hard assets. Our money and our resources have been given to us from God. In other words, we recognize that God gave it to us. Now, again, we've already studied different ways we could get it, and we're going to learn more about that next week. And then it says it must be done three things. It must be earned properly. It must be managed. It must be given away according to scriptural principles and clear ones at that. So in other words, I have to realize that our money and resources have been given to me from God, and they must be earned, managed, and given away according to clear scriptural principles. 
So if you want to know what's driving the entire series that you're listening to today is this whole concept of this particular conviction. Now make it work for you. If you like it, adopt it. If you want to tweak it a little bit, tweak it a little bit. But I don't think you'll go too far off the reservation. So stay with this particular one, and I think it'll work for you. So again, we have to understand what debt is. Do you understand a little bit more about debt? Do you realize the seriousness of it? And I hope that you'll have a passion for becoming as debt-free as possible and hopefully launching your kids into their world of their own personal indebtedness. And some of you probably don't understand the seriousness of debt in America. I think you might, and I'm not talking about our national debt. I'm going to talk about just personal debt. In a little bit of research that I've done, this shocked me. I mean, I knew we were pretty much in debt, but here's what I didn't realize. Not only are we in debt, but as a nation of personal consumer debt. And let me explain the difference. Consumer debt is going to be credit card debt. It's going to be student loan debt. It's going to be what you owe in your car. Consumer debt is not necessarily classified as your mortgage payment. Okay, It's just classified as the things that you consume. Your mortgage is, could be a little bit more of an investment. So they play around with that a little bit. So just with consumer debt, America is in debt with consumer debt to the amount of $2.4 trillion. Now, when the people that were writing this article decided to do the math, they decided, okay, if that's consumer debt and we spread it out through all the uh, citizens of America, how much would that be per person? It comes to $7,800 that every man, woman, boy, and girl are in debt. That's the national debt. Now, let's make some sense out of that. Statistically, we know that not everybody is in debt. Some of you that are listening to me, you have no debt whatsoever. So that means the other person has a lot more than the 7,000. You would agree with that. Secondly, when you do that, we know that a little infant isn't in debt yet. So that skews the numbers up that that means even the adults are paying a lot more than 7,800. Now you throw in a mortgage payment into that because there are a certain degree of payment that you have to make on your house. And if you don't, you know you could lose that house. So there's that indebtedness. So all of a sudden you can see that the people in America statistically are horrifically in debt. At the end of this article, it gave a couple other things that I found quite interesting that I didn't realize. They said, do you know what the average debt is that someone is making on a car payment? They said that the personal debt of just an average car loan now is $27,600. Now, I'm wondering what they're driving, a Maserati or a Lexus or something. I don't want to put down Lexus. I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, let's just say that $27,000 are in debt. Well, at the end of this, they had some comments. There was only two that were worth giving to you. One of them said this, Oh, wow, I could not imagine having that much debt for a car loan. It's just crazy. We have had a car loan out but it was only for (laughs) $18,000. I did what you did. I chuckled, you know. That's even a lot for me. I'm not putting anyone down if you have more than that. But the last comment, I think, was the one that really would speak to all of us, and I think you'd almost say amen. And they said this, We as a country are so used to being in debt that it seems natural for us to just be in debt. Maybe if our country was not in debt so much, it would be better for the citizens as well. I think I would agree with that. And so I would like to think that I'm doing my part to help you become debt-free. And I think together as a family here, that as we walk out into our world tomorrow, that we would be in a sense, in a humble sense, truly humble sense, God's gift to help our fellow citizens 
to move in the direction of becoming debt-free, both socially, financially, and spiritually. Amen on that? And that's why we're doing that. So the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, do I even understand what debt is and how bad it is? So let's go to number two. Do I really need more funds is my next question. These are self-asking questions. You're not going to look at your neighbor. You're going to look at yourself on this. Do I really need more funds? Not could I use more money or would I like more money, but do I really, 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 really need more funds? I do if I'm not willing to make the mid-course corrections to put myself back into a financial stable situation. I could need more funds, but do I really need more funds? Maybe I could make some changes and I wouldn't need so many funds, but that point between where I am and what I need, that, that decision and the results is very painful because I don't want to change my standard of living. So do I really need it? J. Paul Getty said this. He said, I changed the philosophy about money. People should be more content The way to cure discontentment is not necessarily to get more money. I thought, isn't that interesting? But he stops there. The way you deal with it is being content, here it is, with what God has provided for us and then use it wisely to manage it and then to give it away. So he had a thought about that. I kind of thought that was quite interesting. Let me review our verse from last week for those of you that are just coming on board to this message Will you follow along again in 1 Timothy chapter 6? We went so fast last week, it wouldn't hurt for us to go back and have a leftover from last week and enjoy it the second time. It says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. And so you might want to underline that, contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. And that's what you really might want to underline. Ask yourself, am I content with food? Not high-dollar expensive designer food that we've been told that tastes better, we should have, everybody's doing it because of some food network. But is it a basic need that we have? And then with the covering that we have, do I need something so nice? Maybe I could have something just as nice but cost a little less. So learning to begin to be content now at this stage of the game. And I would encourage you that as you move that with your kids, that you would help them in that area so they could learn to be content with what they have. Now here's a question. What do you think causes us to breed this discontent? What, what makes us become so discontented? What do you think it might be? Probably television? Advertisements. Every time you go online and you Google something, there's ads all over the place. Always making it feel like what you have is not enough. It's not new. This is something faster, better, greater. Everybody's doing it. And pretty soon it's very quick and very subtle. So uh, we want to watch out for that heart attack that we talked about, where our heart is deceitful above all things and it attacks our thinking. And immediately then we begin to give in to our heart and we have to be careful. So, again, do I really, really need this when I'm at the store? Do I really, really, really need this when I click on Amazon? Now, I'm not here to make you feel guilty, like don't go to the store, don't buy something from Amazon. I'm not here to do that. 
I'm just asking you to ask yourself, like Carol and I do, do I really, really, do I really, really need this at this time in my life? Just ask yourself that. All right, here's the third question. Could it be that I'm short of funds, but I'm really not so much short of funds, and is God testing my faith? Is He really testing my faith right now? He is allowing me to go through this Scud missile. Let me give you an example. You can't control necessarily when your transmission goes out. You can't control the time when your water heater goes out. You can't control a fire that happens might in your house. You can't necessarily control if a crime is committed and you're burglarized. You often you can try to, but at the end of the day, we can't control everything in our life. The only person we can control is ourselves, and we can control what we choose to spend and upon what we'll buy. So I want you to know that um, that question kind of comes back to us. Is he really, really testing us? Listen to this phrase, especially those of you that are heading into ministry. I believe that real faith is not just trusting God to meet a future need, but I think sometimes real faith is to be content with what I already have. That's why some of the great missionaries at a time in their life demonstrated to us the ability to trust God beforehand rather than after. Here's what I mean by that. The great missionary, Hudson Taylor, was one that went out in to do mission work, and his thought was simply this. God's Word, done in God's way, in God's timing, will receive God's supply. So they would never ask for funds. They trusted God to take care of them. Yes, once a year he would say what came in, and then people then could give, but at the same time he never asked for funds. You've all heard of Mueller trusting the Lord for over $6 million, where in today's money it would be close to $40 million, never asking for a penny, often sitting down at a table with no food, and all of a sudden the bread truck dumps their bread on them. Current ministries like Bible Study Fellowship and others. So we can trust God to be content with what we have, realizing this is what He wants for us, and it's okay. I'm His family. This is His ministry. So just trust the Lord. That's what real faith is. Is He really causing you to go deeper in your intimacy with the Lord through this momentary time of lack of funding? If you have your Bibles now, I would like you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. I want you to look at just two verses. If you'd like to memorize these and let these be a memory passage for you this week, it might be good. Some of you perhaps have already memorized this passage, and when you have, you might just have it as a refresher for you. But we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4. This whole passage is a neat passage because it's slammed in the, at the end of a thank you letter that Paul is now writing back to a church who took care of him financially. So I'd like to say this is probably the greatest missionary thank you letter that you'll ever receive. All right? And he says a lot of neat stuff in there. But here's what he says as he begins to come to the end of this. Verse 10 says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, chapter 4, verse 10, that now... At last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you didn't have the opportunity, whether money or couldn't get it to me. You just lacked that opportunity, but not that I speak from want. For I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I've learned to do. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Paul didn't just wake up one morning and, and get it. He had to be taught that. 
In order to learn that, he had to be taught that. Now, there's a couple of ways you can learn something. You can learn it by reading it, accepting it, believing it, and doing it. You can also learn it by doing all that, but also God has to teach you by bringing you through some tough situations. But in any case, however the teacher was, however it was delivered to him, the end product was he learned something. What did he learn? To be content. In what? Whatever circumstance he was in. Never wringing his hands, never worrying, never having to go back over his records again, trying to figure out what's happening here. Verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means. That's a contentment. How did he learn? God told him. Then it says, and I also know how to live in prosperity. Sometimes it's easier to learn to live in humble means than it is in prosperity. How do I know that? Read the rest of the story of people who have won the lottery. Let's go a little bit further. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. What this tells me is that he's a human being that had to get all of this stuff from God and he made it work. And so if he could do it, then by God, I can do it. The emphasis is on God. I can do that. So can you. Can we trust God? Can we really trust him like Paul did? I I would like to watch him do that so that every time you get something, little extra bonus, someone comes along and helps you with something, That's a love kiss from God, bringing himself closer to you in a real way. Here's the fourth question. There's there's only five. Here's the fourth one. This one here, as I'm going from preaching to meddling for sure. Have I already misused what God has given to me? Have I already misused what God has given to me? He's been so generous, so good, so gracious. Could it be possible that I misuse what he's given to me? I think we'd all have to say it's, it's possible. So let's see how that might be. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of them here to think about. Purchasing unnecessary items when I needed to save for more important things. Catch that? When I bought something that wasn't quite as necessary as something that was more important. I bought this when I should have done this. I bought that when I should have put this toward my indebtedness. Have I ever done that? That's misusing something that God has already given to us. The second is spending money on sinful or harmful things. We don't have any money because we, we, we've definitely misused it by contraband. And I just put a couple down here. Alcohol, drugs, tobacco, pornography, certain entertainment we go to, gambling. Right? Have I done, you know, I don't have because I misused it on things that are sinful. Another one, using it on things which are not as important at this time. doesn't mean they're not important. It's just I don't need it at this very moment. I could postpone this. I put down, supersize my, my hamburger meal, designer coffee. Okay. Is there anybody left in here today? I don't know if there's any left or not. All right. Uh, making purchases which make me feel significant. Items that make me feel important, like status symbols, cars, technology devices, clothes, jewelry. None of that is bad, but the motive for doing that And then when you slam it up against indebtedness, well, let's move on. Finally, making purchases which make me feel more secure, items so others will be my friend, will be my friend. And in my margin, I wrote this, Stan, don't try to buy your friends. Because friends are just like objects. They can leave you, they can turn on you, they can rust, and they can be stolen. 
Enjoy your friends. God's given you richly everything to enjoy. So when you got them, enjoy them. Don't own them. Don't let them own you. And definitely don't buy your friends. Be a friend of God. All right. <clears throat> that was painful enough, so let's go to the last one. All right. Have I violated biblical principles regarding my money? The other is I misuse what God has already given me. This one is a little bit tougher. Have I violated biblical principles? And you might circle the word principles. So it's a principle. So you have to bring it to your own life and see how it fits where you are. And um, I'm going to use the word stinginess as our first one. Have I been stingy? Maybe I don't have money because I've been stingy. And I want to read to you this passage of Scripture. Proverbs 11, 24 to 26. We had it read to us earlier, but I think it was just like you thought it was an obligatory verse. But am I stingy? There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. That would mean he's not stingy. And there is one who withholds what is justly due. That means he is stingy. And yet it results in only want. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.